Hi, so we're starting with a cold open today, primarily because when we were recording this, I had little to no sleep for like the week before this, and Emmanuel was not much better. So we thought we'd just preface this by saying, we're okay. We, we, we needed to tell you this so you we don't get phone calls or texts or emails from friends and family members who think we've gone over the edge. So watch, or rather, listen to this at your own risk, and uh, we thank you for putting up with us if you do. All right, let's roll the intro. Welcome to the Since Graduation Podcast. My name is Calvin Van Leeuwen, and I'm with my co-host, Emmanuel. Bullet catcher, David. The what catcher? I have a question for you. Wait, no. Pause. The what catcher? <laughs> Bullet catcher? Bullet catcher. Oh, thank you. Oh, yep. That was way better than the previous one. All right, I have a question for you. Okay. How many times do you think I can introduce you as the man who shot himself in the hand before it gets old? I think it's already... No, actually, no. I, I like this one. So two times. <laughs> That's it. So we're done. That's it. We're d- it's old now. Until you shoot yourself in the hand again. Yeah. You know, I, I successfully adjusted a hop-up. We, we got a replacement because the previous one was bad, um, the previous gun. So we, we got a new one, and I successfully adjusted it without shooting myself. So I think I've graduated. <laughs> From, like... Level negative three of gun safety school. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm ready for a real gun now. No. No. Nope. No, you're not. Okay. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been a little while since we had our previous episode. It's been like two weeks. So I received word from University of California, Berkeley recently. So they decided, they told me that by the end of June, they would give me a response as to whether I was off the wait list or not. And on June uh, 30th at 10 p.m., two hours before they could have possibly sent me an email, they send me an email and say, thank you for waiting so much, but you're going to have to wait till the middle of July. And, And the worst part about it is at least with... With end of June, I knew exactly when that date was, June 30th. But with the middle of July, they could go till, like, July 25th. And technically, it's not the end because it... So... Is this is this secretly good news? I, I don't know. Because it means that you're, like, that you're still definitely on the wait list. Because I'm sure they, they've already thrown off the, the bottom 90%. So now I'm, like, the wait list of the wait list. Of the wait list. I guess, I mean, I don't know. No, no, and you're not the wait, you're not the wait list of the wait list. That'd be worse. No, I assume that that's actually what it is because I, I, I think that they would have given some people the opportunity and then now they're waiting to hear back from them. And if they say no, then I get it or something like that. Oh. So, they, yeah, I, I think I made quite a few cuts because this is like the fourth time they're extending their deadline. But yeah, I, I think I'm. They're waiting for the first round of wait lists. So you're like 2%. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. Positivity, right? Exactly. 
You've learned from the last one, Calvin. (laughs) No, I haven't. In the past two weeks, I decided to throw out an old office table that we had for the past, I don't know, I think it's something like eight, maybe even nine or ten years. Um, it, It was very functional and it served its purpose well while it did but it got so clunky and and just cluttered that we were doing a lot of cleaning and so I cleaned out the entire room and that desk and I threw it out and I wanted to make my own table so when I say make it sounds like I handcrafted this table but I basically I um, bought some butcher block and um, added sanded and stained it and made it look kind of pretty and then um put some legs on it and uh put it in the room and then put up some shelves and some lighting and that kind of got me thinking how workspace impacts how well and how effectively we work because one thing that bothered me in the previous desk was that there was constantly clutter and whenever there was clutter all we did was we opened up a cabinet or a drawer and shoved it in there and then forgot about it till we had to get something out again and then it was just a pain and so my goal for this desk is it's just one big flat desk and anything that's on there is visible you can't just hide it somehow and so it forces me to like keep it clean and tidy I have a question about how you like your workspace or how your workspace functions and how that the way it looks affects that before i answer that question i have a question for you about the making of this desk did you have to use a hammer and nails i did not know never never hammer nails why damn it damn it why are you asking if i like i was okay If you put a nail no, through your I hand, was, I was completely safe. I used, I did use a drill, um, and some screws and a screwdriver. But I, my hand is completely functional and fine. Okay, back to your question. Your very reasonable question, which I very rudely interrupted. <laughs> I do think a lot about my workspace. And I know it affects me both when I'm trying to do artistic work as well as academic work. It affects me very deeply. I think the most important thing doesn't have to do with the actual organization of the workspace itself, but with how I treat that workspace. And what I mean by that is the most important part of the workspace for me is that it is sectioned off and I only go there when I'm going to do work. I never go there, like I'll never go to my like school desk and just watch YouTube videos. Um, And I'll never go to my art studio and start doing academic work. Like I have to have really definitive boundaries. Um, And what that does for me is it sort of programs my brain to focus on a specific topic um, and a specific workflow when I'm in a specific space. I said specific a lot. So I think that's the most important thing for me, even though it doesn't have to do with the actual materials. 
I think the second most important thing is that it is uncluttered. When things are cluttered, I get distracted very easily because I keep thinking of ways I could reorganize things and find a better place for things or that I just get curious about what's on my desk. Uh, I think that one's pretty common, so I don't think that's... I don't need to expand on that one very much. Yeah, I think, like, one of almost my pet peeves with clutter is that if my, like, elbows or something is brushing up against just just papers and, and just things that are there, it, it just bothers me because it's like, it's, I, not only can I see it, but I can feel clutter and I feel almost, like, confined and... And it just really slows down the way I work. And I kind of just sometimes I'd rather just have all of that on the ground away from my almost headspace because it's just so distracting to have those things, which is why I wanted to get a really big thing so that even if I have like organizers, I can at least put it far enough that it's not within my little. That's actually interesting. I am not that way. I hate visual clutter. So I can have my hand on a notebook and like three pieces of paper, but as long as it's outside of my view, my brain can just sort of ignore it. But as soon as my desk looks cluttered, then I just want to rearrange things. Hmm, that's interesting. So if you had, if you were sitting on one side of your desk and that was like free of things which were cluttered, but in front of the desk where your hands weren't, if that area was like full of papers and things, could you just like push everything to the front of your desk and or to the back of your desk and use it as a workspace? Would that not bother you? That's funny. I, I it wouldn't work if it were the front or the back of my desk, but it would work if it were the side of my desk. I think I have I'm even more sensitive. It's both like visual and kinesthetic. Spatial? Yeah, okay, fine. Or tactile. That's so much tactile, yeah. It hurts to work when I can see clutter just because it feels like I've not finished something and I need to get something done and I I get distracted from what I'm currently doing if I keep thinking, oh, I got to do that, I got to do that. But it also bothers me that if I can feel it, it's kind of both. So I, if I push it to the side of a desk or on the ground where I'm not looking and I can't feel it, it's fine. What about clutter, clutter bothers you? Like why does it redirect your your, your train of focus? For me, it's that I have a lot of stuff to get done or I have a list of things to do. And if there's clutter, generally that clutter is related to something that I'm not currently doing. If I'm working on some project and I have papers laid out everywhere, I don't mind at all because it's all related to that. For example, right now, I was uh, practicing guitar for um, Church I Have Tomorrow and I sat down here and it, 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 it's still bothering me even now, the fact that I have like those papers right here on my desk. But if I had, if I were sitting here with a guitar and I had these papers, it wouldn't bother me at all. But the fact that there's some unfinished job or something that I need to go to eventually that's in front of me and it's like staring me in the face and I'm not doing it, that's what kind of bothers me because it distracts me from... So there can be visual tactile clutter. As long as yes. it's related to, to the task you're on. Yeah. <laughs> it's just after I finish that, I need to like clear up, put it in a nice pretty pile, and I can ignore it. Yeah, I'm not that way. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm painting, painting is a, a messy thing. 
So it requires a lot of, a lot of people say there's two kinds of painters. They're the ones, they're ones who can get everything messy and dirty and that sort of fuels their, their artistic craft. And then there are people like me who need a specific order of elements, like a visual aesthetic order to things in order to be in the right mind space to create art. And I think this sort of flows into something that I was thinking about this week, which I think we'll definitely have to talk about more in the future. But the way I think during painting is different from the way I think most other times. The way I think during painting is very visual. And I don't just mean that like, I I think with diagrams as opposed to words, but I don't have that stream of consciousness dialogue going in or monologue or I guess it's a dialogue. I don't know that like, you know how when you're thinking about something, there's the voice in your head, which is uh, vocalizing inside of your head, what you're thinking about and giving words to what you're thinking in order so that you can be more specific. When I'm painting, I don't have that like stream of consciousness talking. It's, and of course I'm going to try to describe something which is a linguistic, right? So this is going to be a mess, but it is purely analysis of form and edge and design and composition in a way which is totally divorced from language. And my brain has just sort of picked up that way of thinking. You know, it's really interesting that you say that because a little while back I read something. Now, I don't know if this is true because like you, I have this like constant besides when you're painting of course voice um in my head like when I read silently it's a it's a voice that's reading but I heard that some people just don't have right. that yeah and it's it's really cool and interesting that you kind of have both like you have it when you're in normal life you have that constant dialogue and when you're painting you don't but it's just it just is crazy to me that's a good portion of the population just does not think or interact with themselves in the same way that I do. That's exactly what made me figure it out, actually, Mm -hmm. because I'm a very analytical person. You may or may not have picked that up. (laughs) Just a bit. (laughs) But somebody, I I forget where I heard that, but I also heard that same fact. And so I began trying to analyze how I think, which is obviously a circular problem. But in thinking about that, I became really sad because, or just I felt so limited because I could only think in that one specific way of like sort of this stream of consciousness dialogue or monologue going on in my head. But then I realized that as I was painting, I was developing it almost as a skill and it's interesting because thinking back that's not something I was born with like I never had that like when I was younger I didn't have that dual system of consciousness right I had just the one way which was through language which might I add I've never been that good at language (laughs) but as I've developed my visual or aesthetic sense I think I've started to develop a way of thinking which is purely visual. 
and of course I can I can use language to be specific about what I'm saying when I'm communicating trying to communicate with somebody else like I can take that out of the abstract visual sense and turn it into something which is language and that's pretty much all description of art is um, but when I'm painting or even when I'm just looking at something now through a painterly lens which for me has just become every lens I look at th- I look at things through whenever I'm looking at something my the mode my consciousness in, is in just radically shifts and I don't know what that means and it's kind of worrying that like the way I think on a consciousness level has changed but I think it's good news I think so too I think that actually you've progressed to the point where while you're painting it's just this completely different state but I feel like a lot of people are able to have that in small glimpses like for example when I'm working on math and it's something that not busy homework that I just I'm not I don't like but there's some times when I feel like I can't explain or this this happens a lot because I'm not very good at speaking but um <laughs> welcome to when... the since graduation podcast <laughs> <laughs> two guys who can't speak who decided to make a podcast all about speaking um no but I think that there's some things that are just so difficult and impossible to express just with words even music there's some things where i like when you just close your eyes and you it's just it's just a outflow it's not <laughs> i'm making a motion with my hands i can't really describe it it's 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 not that you're thinking about how to play something and you're doing it it's just happening like your consciousness I, I, becomes I aware of the rhythm and responds to it in a way that is exactly. linguistic yeah yes so i th- I mean, what's interesting is I thought about that a lot when I was younger, too. The fact that when I was listening to music and I was trying to be as unanalytical as possible, I could just sort of have an experience which is just purely reactive. And it's... it's. But I wonder if that's different because it's not analysis like painting is. It's not thought really it's it's like it's almost more of a physiological reaction to the music which expresses itself through your subconscious which your conscious mind tries to identify whereas when it comes to painting and how I've learned to see or how I've not really learned because I didn't try to do it but how I've grown to see things it is like analytical it is thought based in the same way an argument is like similar similar to how reading plato is there's like a, a progression of arguments throughout the thing it's it's that same kind of progression of logical arguments it's just completely devoid of language yeah that's fascinating i, I think that thoughts are just hard <laughs> to talk about because they are thoughts and it's fascinating to hear because it's not something we really talk about. I, I didn't know that people don't have, some people just don't have that internal voice 
till I read it and someone just said they don't and and it was just mind-blowing because we never really I think the average person doesn't really talk about that because we just all assume that we're the same or have some sort of place that we're all coming from or I think we just don't really pay attention to how we think that's also true because I think once you ask the question how do I think where are my thoughts coming from the obvious next step is to say is to ask somebody else but I think we just don't pay attention that much to it because it's so abstract and so inherent that like there's for most people there probably isn't much point in questioning it Last week, I was reaching out to um, someone at my church for asking about what guitar I should play. And so I had copied down her number. She, she told me her number and I typed it out really quick at one point. And so I texted her and, you know, on an iPhone, it comes up green. And I was like, I'm sure that she had an iPhone, but maybe she just, maybe she doesn't. It's coming up as a text for like to another device. Um, and so I said, you know, hey, um, would you like me to play electric or acoustic guitar? Uh, and I get a response saying, hi, this is Tom, comma, bass guitar. If you're looking for a bass guitar, call me. And I was like, is she pranking me? That was my first thought. I was like, is this like a, it can't be hazing. Like, what? she can't be like joking. Wait, wait, wait. Why would like, you church music director be hazing you actually let's cut this okay <laughs> let's just go back so my <laughs> not a hazing i'm impressed. so my first thought was shut up <laughs> what cult are you a part of <laughs> not a hazing i don't know i i thought she was joking okay. and like so it, my first thought was that this was a prank and and she was just joking because her husband plays bass guitar and I, I, I maybe I got the wrong number and it texted him instead or something like that. And so I said, you know, are you selling a bass guitar? And he said, no, I play a uh, bass guitar. And it was just so weird because then he said, um, I play for generally like Christian groups and like worship groups and like, and, 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 and gatherings like that. And I said, you know, that's why I texted you because I was asking my worship leader about what guitar I should play. And then he says, oh, we must have exchanged numbers somewhere. And I find out that he lives in New York. So I told him, no, I'm, I actually live in New Jersey. That's it's not, um, I don't live near New York. I doubt it. And he says, well, I'm actually moving to New Jersey in two weeks. And I was like, okay, that that's weird. And I asked him where, and it's insane because the church, I'm, I just joined a church plant. So the plant is going to be, um, we're, we're going to like, you know, get a building and his, where he was looking for houses is about 25 minutes from where the church is going to be. And it's this, I've, I found out later that I typed one number wrong and I found this guy who plays an instrument, who's going to move very close to where this like and Tom the bassist and so I've been texting Tom and and we've had some pretty good chats but it was just so weird and out of the blue and like 
I guess area codes, so, I mean, it had to have been someone relatively close. He's but, from New York. But he's from New York, moving to New Jersey, the place where it's going to be. I, I didn't tell him that, like, you know, the church was going to be there. He sent me a location, and, yeah, anyway, it just blew my mind. <laughs> and so do you have any weird <laughs> texts or phone calls, Calvin? <laughs> This is this one's hard to beat. I don't think. Yeah, I've I've never gotten anything this weird. Uh, this may or may not surprise you to hear, but I don't get numbers from people and then text them just ever. I I don't talk to people as a rule. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but but I am very very afraid of this happening, just because I'm awkward. And I don't want to be put in that situation and just be completely mortified. So I'm always very sure about the number before I text somebody. Or better yet, if somebody asks me for my number, I say, I'll give you my number so that it's their problem. (laughs) You mean if someone gives you theirs, you say you'll give them yours. Right, yeah. You know, I, I thought that this would be really scary. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, please, p- p- take my apology. And, and this <laughs> take guy's my like, apology. Oh, yeah. I, take it, take I, I felt it. so bad. I was like, you know, I'm so, like, I, I don't know, this random guy. And then and he was like, oh, don't worry about it. By the way, I'm hitting the guitar store now. And then we just started talking about this bass guitar he's going to buy. And it was the best experience of a wrong number that I've ever had. Like, I've gotten people put me in this baby shower group chat and they're like should we make the cake blue or pink and like that's that's the best conversations i've had but i think this is like it always i i get a lot of the somebody just randomly texting my number who i've never seen and like it's obvious that they don't that they have the wrong person it's honestly baffling the first text somebody will send to somebody like i Whenever I send a first text to some to a new number, I'm like, "Hi, my name is Calvin. We met at this place." Just to like all my cards out on the table, just making sure that we're both on the same page. But some of these people, they'll text me like just like hard gossip about somebody <laughs> <laughs> from like the high school in Montana, and I'll just be like, "Oh my gosh." I don't care what Cheryl did. Like, <laughs> like I just don't, I can't fathom a world in which gossip would be the first text you send to somebody. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I, what I try to do generally is, well, I guess meeting in person is much more rare now. But if I'm, like, there with them, I'll say, wait here. I'm going to text you, and you're going to get the text, and then I will I'll continue. But... This was over a Zoom call, so I, I probably, like, it probably cut out or something like that, and so I missed it, but, <sighs> yeah, gossip is my thing. How good are you at falling asleep? Like, how long does it take you, once you, you decide that you want to go to bed now, how long does it take you to fall asleep? It vastly depends on the day that I had. If I am, if, especially if I worked out or I had a really long day and it's 
late enough, I can decide to fall asleep and I will, but most days I'm not that good. So especially if my mind, if I'm thinking about something, it can take hours. I think that from what I know of you, it's not as long as you. I I have another problem of waking up and not going back to sleep, but like this morning I woke up at five and I just didn't go back to sleep and I really wanted to sleep, but I couldn't. But yeah, it's it's not as bad as you, but <laughs> I think I'm pretty bad at falling. Asleep. I have like an hour and a half minimum. Like, I oh, I just am so bad at falling asleep. It's honestly infuriating because I can't do anything because I can't turn on the lights because that will just extend it longer. I definitely can't look at a screen. I definitely can't text anybody. The only thing I can do is listen to a podcast. And the reason I do listen to a podcast is because when I'm trying to fall asleep, my mind hates me. And (laughs) (laughs) not in like a really like emo depressing way, but just like, I just, all the weirdest things. I just start thinking about the weirdest things. For example, about uh, like two weeks ago, one or two days after that, the last episode aired, I was trying to fall asleep and I couldn't. And I was like, tonight, I'm not going to listen to a podcast. That was my fatal mistake. (laughs) I, (laughs) I sat in bed for about an hour thinking about, you know, whatever. But then I started thinking about physics and science and are you aware of the inevitable heat death of the universe (laughs) i'll take that laugh as a wait are you asking me (laughs) yeah (laughs) no i'm not aware of the no (laughs) okay so life and anything interesting in the universe happens because there's energy differentials right right there's entropy Um, And there's dysentropy. um, And the universe is naturally going towards a state of entropy. And I was thinking about that and how there's like a sort of a time limit on the universe. And I was like, that's kind of sad. Please, can we pause here? (laughs) When I fall asleep, I think about what's worrying me. What my future is going to be like, what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I'm going to eat. Like the deepest I get is like, what will my life look like? How will it end? Will it have been worth it? But Calvin, (laughs) when he can't fall asleep, thinks about states of entropy and disentropy and the gradual decay of the universe into like a fireball or whatever you're going to continue telling me about. Go ahead. (laughs) Yep. But so I was thinking about this quote that I heard, which was, Mm -hmm. it was from like some kind of humanist scientist who said, life is all about writing entropy on the way down and making something interesting. Right. That's a pretty optimistic quote. Um, Mm. (laughs) And it's, it, it, it's a really interesting quote. I love quotes. I'm sure we'll talk about it eventually. I keep saying that, but it was something I was just thinking about 
trying to fall asleep. And then I was thinking about the fact that I am contributing to the increase of entropy. Not just, just like through existing, through my body, turning food energy into ATP and then that ATP into kinetic energy. I am propelling the universe towards heat death. And then I just felt so guilty <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, I just had it in my brain that I was <laughs> responsible, <laughs> that I was responsible for the inevitable heat death of the universe. And so this is dumb for like three distinct reasons. <laughs> Only three I I, th- I think so. The first is that okay. I am not contributing very much to entropy. This is true. Second is that it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's like the second law of thermodynamics. It's inevitable. The third, wait, let me think of the third. I can't help it. The third is I can't help it. Even if I do nothing, I will still be contributing to the death of the universe. <sighs> This is what I think about. I'm 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 really proud of you for realizing though before you fell asleep that your guilt was for no reason and um and you really got someplace which is good. I mean even though I knew I shouldn't be guilty, I still felt guilty. So you really have some pretty deep stuff on your shoulders, Calvin. <laughs> it's so dumb. Like why is that the thought that decides to come back at 1.30 in the morning? You have the literal weight of the universe <laughs> on your shoulders. Like, at that point, the whole universe, you felt guilty about your contribution to the universe. So, what I'm going to propose is that, as a new bit for this podcast, <laughs> we'll just have a short one to two minute segment of the dumb things that I thought about at 1.30 in the morning. Oh, let's. Yeah. Sound good? And Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it, except not at 1.30 in the morning. I, <laughs> I have them at other times. <laughs> I have dumb things I think about, just not while I'm trying to fall asleep. Yeah. I never felt that guilt. <laughs> I had one other one that I was going to tell you, but I just forgot. Good, we'll save it for the next time. Oh, there'll be more by then. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) They're not all depressing. And, like, I wasn't... All these things make me sound depressed. I'm not. I'm fine. For legal reasons. As a disclaimer. For legal reasons, I'm fine. But, like, just for some reason, I get super existential. Yeah. I'm far more self-centered and selfish in my sleep time thoughts. It's it's like, what am I going to do? What What's life going to be like for me? How am I going to ruin things? How am I, you know, it's... it's <laughs> I mean, that's one way to look not... <laughs> at it. But the other way to look at it is like, you're the only thing that you have control over like i don't have control over the inevitable heat death of the universe it's inevitable you do have control over your future so it's not 
I don't think it's not selfishness what you're doing. It's practical. Mm-hmm. It's what evolution should have instilled in human brains. That's what you should think about. How am I going to eat tomorrow? That is the pressing question. <laughs> not what is the fate of the human endeavor. Let me make it clear, though. It's not if I will eat. It's what good thing will I eat tomorrow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not an evolutionary concern. It's, it's, it's more of a, hmm, I wonder if there's any leftovers. No, I can't. I can't. This is going so poor. I don't think I can talk today. No. Oh my god. This may not work. Honestly, my brain is fried.